On this episode of the Proclaim Podcast, we're talking with Father James Mallon about his conversion story, his ministry failures, and his journey as a missionary disciple. This is part one of a three-part series with Father James, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast to catch the whole conversation. Today we've got a very special guest. Father James Mallon is with us today. Welcome, Father James. It's great to be with you guys. And it's great to have you. Many of the people that are listening would obviously know you from the book, Divine Renovation, Divine Renovation Network, and all the wonderful things that God has done through that, which is really quite amazing, Father James, what he's doing. Uh, we're, we're amazed all the time. It, it, there's no explanation for it. <laughs> there's yeah. no, human ex- no human explanation. Yeah. One of the things that you always talk about, Father James, very uh, consistently, and everything I've seen you present is, you know, you're learning more from your mistakes than anything else. And it's a real sign of humility. But um, today we're, we're here. We're, we're glad that you're with us. And I think what we'll do, Father James, we're going to jump in because a lot of you would know you as an author and, and somebody that's getting, you know, more and more influence in the church. And we all celebrate that. But, you know, there was a time when you weren't an author. There was a time when you were, quote unquote, just a disciple or even just coming into faith. So why don't you just tell us your faith story, Father James? Yeah, yeah. I will. You, you see behind me uh, Halifax Harbor, and that's a view that I remember from the night where I, when I, in a sense, I really encountered the Lord in a personal way for the first time in my life. I was raised Catholic in Scotland, you know, the type of family that I, I missed Sunday Mass twice in my life. That's the kind of family I, I was raised in. But yet, God was always distant, what wasn't, wasn't personal. And in high school, I began to get involved in some extracurricular activities. Uh, that got me into trouble with uh, the police and I was forced to go on a stupid religious weekend and I went on it kind of reluctantly inside I kind of knew I, I, I needed something and on that weekend I, I encountered the, the unconditional love of God in a way that just totally transformed my life and it was like I had lived my whole life in a confined space and that night I, I broke through the wall and on the other side was this infinite space of peace. It, it was truly an experience of the unconditional love of the Father, uh, a sense of the power of, of the Holy Spirit, and, and a real deep entry into a deep relationship with the Lord. And I remember that night looking out, it was in the mother house of Mount St. Vincent University in the highest room and looking out and seeing Halifax Harbor. And I think that experience, it was the beginning of a new walk in my life um, that, you know, that I'm still on, basically 32 years later. And, you know, it's still unfolding. But I have to say that that experience has shaped my life. It was an experience of, of not even knowing that this was possible. Mm. And, and I was a churchgoer. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I knew my catechism. I went to Mass. I believed. I said, I said my prayers before I went to bed. But this was something of a, of a different category. I, I didn't know it was possible. And as time went on, I began to, you know, when I first went back to my parish, very excited to share with people what I experienced, I, I realized that they thought I was a bit weird, which fair <laughs> enough. But but what I really began to realize is that there's a lot of people in parishes who were just like me. They're going to church, they're going to, they're, they're sincere, good people, but there's that essence, that core dynamic of the Christian faith, that mystery of Christ in us through the power of the spirit and coming into relationship with the father that a lot of people were just like me. They don't know it's possible. And that's a passion that has driven, I think my whole life in ministry 
and especially mm -hmm. my ministry as a priest, because, you know, just seeing that many parishes are filled with people who are, who just haven't yet discovered that, that mm. real life changing relationship. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. I mean, it has to animate everything, right? Like everything you endeavor to do, everything you endeavor to write, every initiative, it, it really comes down to that. Well, the, you know it to be true. There, there are two there are two kinds of motives uh, in everything we do. One is what we want from people, and one is what we want for people. And, and if any motive that is grounded in love, it's always going to be what we want for. And that's been it. I mean, that's the ground of evangelization is how can we not want this for people? How can we not want that people discover the, the, and the fullness of God's love revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and lived out, you know, that, that Christianity is not just about God with us sometimes, but, but even God in us. Once you experience that, how can you not want that for others? Yeah. And, and so that's, I, I think, what ought to ground all evangelization. And it makes me think sometimes if there's very little desire, I mean, not, not doing evangelization is, is in itself that doesn't necessarily say something because people sometimes don't do evangelization because they don't know how. But if, if there's an absence of the desire, then that's a deeper problem. That makes mm -hmm. me, I mean, I can't look into people's hearts, but it makes me wonder, have you ever discovered it? Because if you have discovered it, whether you struggle with it or, or not or how to do it, if the, you, the desire will be there. Yeah. Yeah. You may, you may feel ill-equipped or unprepared, but your heart is just longing for people to have that encounter. That's a missionary disciple's heart. That's it. Yeah. That's it. How can you not? Here's the thing. Is it really interesting? You know, that night I was a, I was a dumb kind of 16 year old kid, but I knew two things. I knew I wanted more and I knew I wanted my friends to, to experience this. So right away that in that, like within 10 minutes of experience, I was a disciple because I now hungered and thirsted for more. I wanted to know about this Jesus and about this God, and I wanted others to know about it and experience it. I became a missionary disciple. Mm. You know, sometimes there's this idea in the church, oh, we make people a disciple, and then, you know, after seven years of heavy investment, some, some of them might become eventually missionary disciples. That's hogwash. The best mystery, missionary disciples are people who met the Lord 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they say more people will convert somebody within the first year of their encounter yeah. than after that. So, and mm -hmm. I think that's partly to do with the, the, you know, the, the organizational things that are in place within the church that we don't, mm -hmm. don't foster that. But the other thing is true is, you know, sometimes I can't help tell people how amazing Costco is. You know, <laughs> it's cheap, they stock good products, they have yeah. great buying teams, uh, but it can be a challenge sharing Jesus, you know, unless we are reminded about how amazing he is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's those encounters, like when you have a taste for Jesus, actually being able to, to stay there. And yeah. yeah, we all yearn to share him with others. And then when we don't get the tools, that's when I kind of think uh, it starts to fall apart. Oh, maybe this is not part of the life. And mm. um, the part of your story that resonated with me is I have a similar one where I came back and I, I found faith in an evangelical um, sort of environment. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't actually sure if this is what Catholics do. Right. Because no one was Or Catholics experience. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and when I read Sherry Waddell and she said, anecdotally, there's this 5% of, of a, a parish or 
um, a Catholic faith community that's uh, evangel evangelized and sacramentalized, that's, you know, and she talks about, oh, because of that, 95% of the culture in most parishes is non-evangelized. Mm -hmm. This is what she's saying in her book. I was like, oh, that's what I've been experiencing. Yeah. This is truly right. Catholic. So mm -hmm. I don't, maybe you that's can right. comment on I, that. I think, well, well I, I think one of the problems too is that we're, if you think about the call to be a missionary disciple, uh, disciple is related to the call to holiness. Missionary, well, that's related to the call to, to be on mission. And, and in baptism, it's the universal call to holiness and mission. And when we become a missionary disciple, usually what happens is that our growth in discipleship moves more quickly than our growth as a missionary. And what happens if you're, if you're to be a missionary is a lot to do about sensitivity, being able to make the gospel relevant to people who don't believe in the Lord and don't go to church. And what happens if, if your investment in growth as a missionary doesn't keep pace with your growth as a disciple, what three things happen. You become weird, judgmental, and irrelevant. Mm. I've seen it all the time. I've seen it in people who three years ago didn't go to church and didn't believe and have a conversion, come into church, join the church, receive the sacraments, and then become so uber-Catholic that they become absolutely irrelevant to the people who, mm. who, who don't go, go to church and become very almost judgmental as well and, and mm. just plain out weird. And mm. so that's part of the missionary call. And that's what I love about Alpha. I know we're going to speak a little bit about Alpha, is that it's, it, it flourishes within this missionary sensitivity that mm. what are three things we try not to do? Be weird irrelevant and judgmental because yeah. for many people that's simply how they perceive the church because we've 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 made the christian life often in the best of our parishes and i say this because there are many parishes where the average person neither pursues holiness nor mission there's mm. not a, a lot of either go going on but are, many of our best parishes really invest in holiness in discipleship but really fall short when it comes to mission mm. and we we confuse the, the call to form disciples with the call to make disciples. We have to do both. Mm. It's like raising kids. I don't care if you've got a plan, what your plans are to raise your children. At some point, you got to go make babies. <laughs> and you can't make babies. You, you can't make babies without a plan to raise your kids. Yeah. But so, some churches, it's like, well, let's just form the disciples. And then maybe eventually we'll, 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 we'll get around to evangelization. Yeah, so, so true. Father James, one of the things I appreciate about your prophetic voice, it's just how you say things. But I think what you're doing is you're saying publicly what, what a lot of people, intentional disciples, missionary disciples, are kind of whispering privately. Like you're really saying these things. And even just what you said, weird, irrelevant, and judgmental. judgmental. I mean, that we could unpack that for so long, but it's so true. And, and the worst thing we can be in terms of trying to be evangelistic and, and, and reach a world is to be irrelevant. Like we don't need to be irrelevant right now. Well, see, re relevance does, doesn't mean changing the, the, the content of the, the essence of the faith. It's about the wrapping. You know, it's about the, the necessary cultural translation. Jesus is the perfect model of this Philippians 2, 60, 11, though being in the form of God, it's present continuous. Uh, it's, a, it's a present participle the whole time. Being in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself. The incarnation is our model. Jesus takes on flesh. He, 
He pitches his tents among those to whom he has sent, but he doesn't give up his essence. Mm. And that's the essence of Christian mission is that's the missionary disposition to, to incarnate the gospel in a way that doesn't compromise the truth of the gospel. But, but let me also say this, just as it's dangerous for, for holiness to be disconnected from mission, it's also very dangerous for mission to be disconnected from holiness. Because mm. when you have mission without holiness, you have ideology mm. or you have an ego trip or you just have an NGO. And we've seen that so often in many amazing Catholic organizations that started out with a very balanced perspective have, have basically severed. They've become so focused on mission, they've allowed the holiness to fall to the side. And as good as, the, as, as, as much as what they do is good, it's not Christian mission anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it goes on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, uh, Oh, I think, were you going to say something? Well, I want to ask him, yeah. you know, where Father James Mallon, you did not become Father James Mallon overnight. So I want to come back to the time mm. where, if you can tell us a story about where you might have been weird, irrelevant, or judgmental <laughs> yeah. in your journey of becoming, you know, when your, <laughs> when your discipleship was outpacing your missionary, as you put it, um, can you tell us a story about a time in your life where that might have been the case? To, to be really honest, I think that I always had a kind of a missionary passion, but I think I started to, to skew once I went into the seminary, once I started to study theology. And I love studying theology, and I, the convictions I had in the seminary were very, very, very strong that launched me as a young priest. And although as a young priest, when I got my first parish, I, I did implement Alpha right away, I would have to say that my driving conviction about parish renewal was was simply this that that we have to be holy and orthodox that holiness and orthodoxy will carry the day now i still believe that the church is called to holiness and we're called to orthodoxy i mean i wouldn't want a church without those things but i believe that those things alone were were, were going to be enough and i think that over the years now i could give you examples of failures you know, sitting down one-on-one, but my passion has always been the mobilization of a parish. And so I've got no shortage of failures there. And one thing is, you know, the whole orthodoxy thing in terms of pounding people with the truth. Uh, I have found out that, that, that some people do respond to that, but it's a, it's a fairly small percentage of people. Here's the thing, in our postmodern culture, people are, are suspicious of, of comprehensive truth claims. And yet people thirst for, for religious experience. And in the church, we traditionally are suspicious of religious experience and we, we lead with comprehensive truth claims. And so I would pound that. And I, I think that, that over, over, over time, I saw that some people would respond, but the vast majority of people who even came to church would just simply come to Mass and leave and come to Mass the following week and leave. And it, it didn't seem to touch them at all. The other thing around the orthodoxy thing was, in a sense, or, or, base, or rather the call to holiness, I would preach it and preach it and preach it and call people to it and call people to it. Here's what I learned, that it's so often all I did was add heavy burdens to people. I think of the condemnation of Jesus of the Pharisees we've been reading about in the weekday mass uh, this week. He says, you tie up heavy burdens and, and lay them on people. And I realized, oh my goodness, what, what I succeeded in doing is I I would preach in, a, I think, a fairly convicting way 
that you ought to be doing these things. You ought to be praying more. You ought to be growing in holiness. You ought to be serving in ministry. You ought to be growing in faith and knowledge. And people would leave convicted. Yeah, I ought to be doing that. But guess what? I don't want to do it. This guy convicted me that I, I certainly should be doing it, but my heart hasn't been changed. And so I'm just leaving church more burdened than when I came in because now I really know how much of a loser I am because I know that I really, how much of a bad Catholic I am because I really should be doing this. And guess what? I don't want to. And, and I think that's often what we do in the church. Someone once said that in the church, we're, we're almost like asking many Catholics to live in a faithful marriage with someone they don't even know, let alone have fallen in love with. They know, they know about the person. But we demand this kind of level of fidelity with someone they haven't felt fallen in love with. And, and the big shift for me occurred really about 10, 12 years ago when I realized, and that's why in Divine Renovation Ministry, our first key is the primacy of evangelization because it, a person falls in love. And then all of a sudden, the call to all these other good things are no longer experienced as a burden. Mm. but as a as a as as the fulfillment of of this longing that mm. people have so that's why i think realizing in the past that i didn't lead with evangelization i believed in evangelization but for me it was it was something in the mix along with all these other things mm. and i realized that by leading with the truth alone i'd only reach a limited number of people or by pounding and convicting people of what they ought to be doing uh, in order to be more holy uh, it, it left a lot of people burdened. And so, but leading with evangelization, it's a game changer. It really is. That's what we experienced. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're sort of launching this movement, Proclaim, and it's all about evangelization. And two sort of tools that we're certainly promoting and encouraging would be the CCO Discovery, which you're familiar with, but also, of course, Alpha. And whenever you talk about Alpha yeah. in the Catholic context, you know, some questions arise, and I know how important Alpha is to you personally, but also to what you've seen at St. Benedict's and all around the world through Divine Renovation Network. And so I can think of nobody else that would be better equipped to kind of answer the, the question. The question really is, you know, is Alpha Catholic? And of course, some people ask this question to be difficult. They're, they're really making a statement yep. more than they're asking a question because in their mind, Alpha is not Catholic. But you guys have assimilated it so well into your parish, and we'll talk about it as a culture changer. But right now, I mean, as, as someone with formation, with theological understanding, how would you answer the question, Father James, is Alpha Catholic? I would say, no, it's not. And yes, it is. It, because it's, it, it depends how you look at it, right? You know, Alpha was, was developed out of an Anglican church in London, England, and the main resources still come out of this Anglican church in London, England, and it, and they are an evangelical church. So it comes from that kind of culture, that part of the, that, that stream of the Christian tradition. So in that sense, if you isolate that, is it Catholic? No, it's not. First point. Second point, does it, does it basically communicate basic Catholic doctrine? No, it doesn't. So in, from that perspective, it's not Catholic either. But here's the thing, Alpha doesn't, doesn't claim, the, the theological content of Alpha doesn't claim to be basic Christianity. This is a very important distinction. It doesn't claim to be mere Christianity. Some Catholics get this wrong. Uh, the, 
in the early years of Alpha and still to this day, they don't use that terminology because that is a theological statement. If you call the theological content of Alpha basic Christianity, then basically what you're proposing is a Protestant version of, 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 of Christianity. Instead, they say it's what we hold in common. Mm. It's a very fine distinction, but a very important distinction. Here's the thing. Um, <laughs> it, it, so as a result, there are many things that are not said. So in the sense that it, it doesn't, deliver basic Catholic the all of basic Catholic theology. It doesn't talk about the Eucharist, doesn't really talk much about the church. Uh, and so that in that sense, you could say it, it's not Catholic. So that that's what I would say, no, it's not. But here here's the problem with that with that assessment is that I think that the court, in terms of theological content, the problem's not so much with what is said as with what is not said. And if that's a deal breaker for you, you shouldn't be using the Apostles' Creed at church. Hmm. You probably shouldn't even be using the Nicene Creed at church because it doesn't mention the Eucharist. Um, you see, we, we have all the time even creedal formulae that, that don't say everything. And, and so the problem is, is not with what is said, but what is not said. There are entire topics that, that are not introduced. And even some topics that are introduced, such as the church, there are key elements missing from a Catholic perspective. But I would say that this is not a problem because if you, if your starting point is that you're making babies and you have to have a plan to form them, then that's what you do afterwards. That's simply what you do next. And, and that would be, in fact, it's irresponsible for Catholics to use alpha without planning to do all this other stuff. You have to have a plan to do it. But at the same time, I, I think if, if Catholics invented alpha, it would be 35 weeks long. Uh, and, and no one would end up, no one who does, that doesn't go to church would end up taking it. Yeah. So are you but, saying alpha is like making babies? I'm just trying to follow the analogy here. <laughs> is that part of the promotion? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys a, might show. A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, well, I would, I would say this, that fundamentally in everything that a parish has, is doing, and this is a big mistake, like what's your basic vision for Alpha? What do you think you're doing? Are you feeding sheep or catching fish? I'm shifting the, the metaphor here, guys. Are you feeding sheep or catching fish? Is it a catechetical discipling tool or is it an evangelistic tool? No, the answer is it's kind of both. Because if, if you're a disciple and you take Alpha, it's going to, you know, all discipleship, all catechesis ought to be evangelistic. But the moment, the evangelistic moment, evangelization in and of itself is distinct from catechesis or discipleship. If the goal is of evangelization is to make disciples or make babies, the, then the rest of your life is spent being formed, right? So Alpha can do both, but Alpha primarily is a tool to catch fish. But here's the thing, it, can, it does both. It, it can evangelize people in your pews and people outside the pews, and it can also help people go more deeply into their, into their, 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 their discipleship. But it is, it is primarily a tool to reach those on the outside. Here's the big mistake that many Catholics make. They never get beyond the walls. They, their starting point is that, and, and some critics of Alpha have literally said this, the catechetical tool Alpha is not a good catechetical tool. I totally agree. If you're, if you're looking at Alpha through the lens of catechesis, it fails. It fails. It's not Catholic. Do not use Alpha for catechesis. You heard it from Father James Mallon. Don't use it for catechesis. 
It's terrible. But for evangelization, it's phenomenal. Because <laughs> oh, it's not, it, it's exists, to, it's a tool to catch fish. And here's the thing. No, you got me on a, you got me on a roll here, guys. I, I would say, I would say that if we're faithful, if you're listening to this and you're a faithful Catholic who believes in the magisterium of the church, then the fact that it's not, you know, quote unquote, not Catholic is actually an advantage. You should, it, it's not, you know, you should maybe use Alpha in spite of the fact that it's not Catholic, but the fact that it's Catholic is actually advantage. So why would I say something like this? Well, let me quote from Pope Francis. He said this, if we concentrate on the convictions we share, he's talking about uh, ecumenical dimensions here. This is in paragraph 246. And if we keep in mind the principle of the hierarchy of truths, we will be able to progress decidedly towards common expressions of proclamation, service, and witness. Common expressions. You name me any evangelistic tool in, this, in the Catholic Church that is a common expression among other Christians. He goes on to say this. The immense numbers of people who have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot leave us indifferent. Consequently, commitment to a unity which helps them to accept Jesus Christ can no longer be a matter of mere diplomacy or forced compliance, but rather an indispensable path of evangelization. He's saying that using a tool that is used by other Christians is an indispensable path to evangelization because it manifests a dimension of the unity Jesus prayed for in John 17. And he said that the our degree to which we're unified, we reflect the unity that, uh, that is between the Father and the Son that people will come to believe. Yeah. That is from, from, uh, from Pope Francis. And guess what? I'm going to say one more thing, then I'm going to shut up. Okay? Here's the cool thing. It's a reference to Evangelii Nunciandi. Pope Paul VI, 1975, said the exact same thing. He says this, paragraph 77, the Lord's spiritual testament tells us that unity among his followers is not only the proof that we are his, but also the proof that he is sent by the Father. It is the test of the credibility of Christians and of Christ himself. And he says this, as evangelizers, we must offer Christ faithful, not the image of people divided and separated by unedifying quarrels, but the image of people who are mature in faith and capable of finding a meeting point beyond the real tensions, thanks to a shared, sincere, and disinterested search for truth. He says the destiny of evangelization is certainly bound up with the witness of unity given by the church. Mm. So I would say the fact that Alpha comes from a non-Catholic source, according to the magisterium of the Catholic church, is not necessarily a problem to be tolerated, but of great advantage. And I've experienced this in inviting unchurched people. Mm -hmm. You know, I say, oh, we've got this, you know, you, you ask great questions. We, you know, we've got this thing at our church. I think you would love people like, well, man, you know, I'm not sure. So, but it's actually used by, it's not just used by Catholics. It's used by many Christians of the, oh, really? And people are all of a sudden interested. It, that the witness of unity opens people up. And, and the point of, of, of bringing people to Alpha is that basic proclamation. 
This is the end of part one of our conversation with Father James. Be sure to subscribe to the Proclaim podcast to catch part two and three.